The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Bruce Arians showing a great amount of compassion and understanding for the fact that one of the players <laughs> lost a tooth on Sunday. And... And he's right. There are plenty more where that came from. There's plenty of PFTPM coming over the course of the next hour. It's our first show since Thanksgiving. I am still trying my best to work off the Thanksgiving weight, Shireen. I, I you know, I, I try to keep. I, I, and this is way too much information, but I don't care. I, I try to keep myself in a in a five pound range. And yeah. I try to get on the scale every day to keep myself honest so I don't overdo it. So, because if you don't, next thing you know, you've gained 10 pounds. At least that, yeah. that's what happens to me. And then my suits start getting tight, and I, you know, I accuse people of shrinking my clothing. And so I try to stay in a tight five-pound range. But after a major holiday, I, I, I put off the reckoning. I, I feel like you know, maybe I can unknowingly lose the weight, and before I get back on, it'll be like I never went beyond my window, if that makes any sense whatsoever. And I know how pathetic that sounds. I was actually proactive this year, Mike. So I started a no sugar November and went down three weeks. So I lost some weight before Thanksgiving and not weigh today, but I will weigh tomorrow. And hopefully I'm still, I'm like you, hopefully I'm still in that five pound range. I think I am, but yeah, way too much food over the weekend. You know, Nick Saban does that. I, I kind of learned it from reading about him. He's very obsessive about keeping himself in a specific five-pound range. And as long as he's doing well, he allows himself his Little Debbie oatmeal cream pie sandwiches, which aren't nearly <laughs> as good as the nutrition information on them would justify. I, I used to be and, – and here goes our Little Debbie sponsorship out the door. I used to love the various Little Debbie snacks until 1992 or so when they had to put the nutrition information on them. And you see the calorie and fat content. Uh-huh. It's like, nah, I'll, I'll just, I'll just have a cheeseburger instead. Thank you very much, or a half dozen donuts, as the case may be. All right, enough talk with the food because I haven't eaten in a while, and my stomach's going to start to growl. Let's talk football. And uh, Christian McCaffrey, bad news for him and for the Panthers. An injury yesterday that we didn't even know about during the game. I mean, he looked banged up. They never announced that he was injured, possibly because he won't let the trainers get anywhere near him during the game because he's determined to keep playing. He left in a boot. X-rays were negative. And now out of the blue today, Shereen, Panthers announced he's done for the year. He's on injured reserve with an ankle injury. A stunning development for a team that, even though they got completely outclassed by the Dolphins yesterday, were still alive for a playoff berth in the NFC. And Mike, over the last two seasons when he's played, you can just see what a difference he makes to that team. And I actually had that game yesterday. I was one of my games. And so I was watching it and he's on the sideline and they're saying, well, he might come back. And so I was waiting for our former coworker, Darren Gant, who now works for the Panthers to post something about what the team was going to say. And they said, well, the Panthers have confirmed that he did roll the ankle in the first half, but he's good to come back. Ended up playing one play in the second half, didn't have a touch in the second half, 10 carries in the first half. And, by the way, had his streak of catches end at 57, 57 consecutive games with a catch in the games that he's played. He didn't have a catch yesterday, so that's out the door. But bigger for the Panthers is they're not going to have him the rest of the season Probably a cautionary tale, Mike, of of not to pay running backs big money based on what they've gotten out of him since he signed that contract before the start of the 2020 season. Well, but let's take it one step farther. It's a cautionary tale not to use the eighth overall pick in the draft on Christian McCaffrey, a team that is so obsessed with finding a franchise quarterback could have had Patrick Mahomes. Now, I know that they had Cam Newton at the time, and it would have been hard to justify throwing him overboard. He was just a couple of years removed from being the league MVP, but still, if you use a top 10 pick on a running back, you basically are committing to if he checks the boxes, as McCaffrey did, 2017, 2018, 2019, and he had along the way the the first 1,000-yard rushing and 1,000-yard receiving season since Marshall Falk, I believe, 
And I think it's Falk and yeah. Roger Craig are the only ones to have ever done that. I think I remember that being a thing. That's although right. You're right. The days, yep. the weeks and the months, especially since the pandemic started, it's all one big cluster for me. But and, and, and look, I, I understand that we can find running backs anywhere and everywhere. But when you put that guy's name on the card at eight overall, you are committing yourself to eventually paying him. The Giants would be in that position with Saquon Barkley right now if he hadn't been injured throughout his first yeah. four NFL seasons, 18, 19, 20, and into 21. He was healthy, I think, in 18. The problem started in 19. McCaffrey, don't be mad at Christian McCaffrey because he had, right. and I don't mean you, Shereen, I mean whoever's listening, three years of high-end performance. And the way that they've set up the rookie wage scale as of 2011, because there were too many Ryan Leafs and Jamarcus Russells who were sucking millions out of the system without ever earning a penny of it. We, we can't have these busts that are taking all this money that could go to veterans. That was the pitch to the union, and the, the veterans got on board with it. It was like, hey, yeah, screw the rookies. They're not part of us. Let's, let's take money from them, and they'll give, maybe give it to us. Whether or not that's been the case is a different issue altogether. But for the rookies, you earn your first contract. You, you earn the first contract you didn't get your early years of your career. And McCaffrey, I think, was ready to take a stand after three seasons. And I think the Panthers knew he was ready to take a stand. And they decided to get ahead of it. And they paid him $16 million a year. And they had no reason to think that he was going to have all these injury issues, apart from the fact that that's the nature of the position. This isn't about Christian McCaffrey being injury prone. This is about him playing a position that is prone to injury. So you don't make a running back the eighth overall pick in the draft because that puts you in position to pay him if he does have three solid years like McCaffrey did, it's that simple. So, Shereen, this problem didn't start when they signed him to the contract. The problem started when they decided right. to put his name on a card when they had the eighth overall pick in 2017. Yeah, and as you said, Mike, they're still searching for that franchise quarterback, and they're going to go back to the drawing board after this season to try to find that guy again when they could have had him instead of taking – Christian McCaffrey always take the quarterback over the running back. I mean, that just seems like a no-brainer. Go back to the Giants with Saquon Barkley and now the Panthers with Christian McCaffrey, and there are other examples of that for sure. There's no question. But you always take the, the franchise quarterback first, and, and when you have that, you can build around that guy with whatever running backs you can find. Look what the Titans did yesterday. And, and, hey, I love Derrick Henry. I, I think he needed to be paid. He's lived up to, to them paying him, all of that. So this isn't a knock on Derrick Henry at all, but I'm saying the Titans had two rushers over 100 yards yesterday, and they weren't named Derrick Henry, and they weren't named Christian McCaffrey. But if you have that franchise quarterback, you can build around him with other running backs. Now, receivers, I guess, are a little bit harder when you look at what the Titans struggle with catching the ball and, and getting open down the field. But if you have that quarterback, Mike, you can have any running backs and still succeed in this league. I think that's been proved. Yeah, and uh, you're absolutely right, but it seems like teams still fall into that trap where they fall in love with a running back when they're in the top ten. And this is, this is another part of it as well. And, and this isn't a specific knock on the Giants, although the shoe may fit, or the Jaguars in 2017 when they took Leonard Fournette with the fourth overall pick, although the shoe may fit, or the Panthers pre-David Tepper, although the shoe yeah. may fit. Dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things. And in a league of 32 teams, all it takes is one with a ticket in the top 10 to get infatuated with a high-end running back and, and roll the dice instead of recognizing, eh, we can find somebody in round two or three or four or not at all. We can go find a great running back. And the irony in Jacksonville is the same GM – that picked Leonard Fournette fourth overall found James Robinson completely and totally undrafted. And Robinson has been far better for the Jaguars, not far better, but better for the Jaguars than Fournette ever was. And Robinson has come a whole lot cheaper. So it's, it's, I, I, it's a cautionary tale that we shouldn't have to tell. We should know this by now. Mm. And it's surprising to me that there are still teams like the Giants in 2018. This is one of the reasons why Dave Gettleman's going to be out 
in New York after the season. And the Giants, by the way, have done nothing to push back against the Sunday Splash report that came from NFL media. Not the general NFL media. Sometimes people get confused. No, the media conglomerate, owned in part by the Giants, reported that Gettleman is out, and the Giants haven't said boo about it. That means he is out. And one of the reasons he's out is because he took Saquon Barkley when he could have had, oh, I don't know, Josh Allen. Not that Allen is a frontrunner for MVP currently, but he's been far better than Daniel Jones has been. And, you know, does that mean that the Giants would, able to, would have been able to develop him? I don't know. But, but the point is, don't use a top 10 pick. Don't use a top 20 pick. Don't use a first-round pick at all on running back, with one exception. If you're very low in the round and there's a guy you really love, you get him for five years. And frankly, five years, you may let him walk then. Or you franchise tag him for one year and then you let him walk. But that big second contract, hard to justify it. But you're far more likely to have to give the guy the second contract if you take him, let's say, in the top half of round one, or the top 20 if he ends up being a great player. What do you do? Why'd you take him if you're not going to pay him? That's how it works. You use the first-round pick on the the lottery ticket, and you hope that it works. And when it works, we do. You you let him walk away? Well, no, why'd you take him? So I I wonder if teams are going to learn their lesson. Um, And number one, continue to use high picks. And number two, continue to pay big money. And the other reality, too, Shereen, and this – relates to Dalvin Cook and the fact that he's going to miss time with a shoulder injury. And he's, you know, it's a tough position to play. You're going to get injured. But he's one of the guys who got paid. There was a flurry of them who weren't first-round picks who got big contracts. It was Dalvin Cook. It was Alvin Kamara. It was Joe Mixon. It was Derrick Henry. Uh, there may be one more that I'm missing in that group. But, you know, the reality is for running backs that work out well to start their careers – the only team that's ever going to pay him big money is the team that's already invested emotionally. The fan base is invested emotionally in them. You hit the open market, and you're not getting big money. And, and I wonder when teams are going to just say, eh, like the Cowboys did with DeMarco Murray. Uh, nope, I was thanks. just going to bring him up. Yep. And, and, and we're done. We're moving on. Yeah, and, and then they ended up using a what top five pick, whatever it was, on, on Zeke, which they shouldn't have done. But, yeah, they let DeMarco Murray walk, and that ended up being the right decision for them, even though he had led the league in rushing. They let him walk away and go to the Eagles, and he took what he could get from the Eagles, and it didn't work out there. He was at the end of his career. So maybe that's what you need to do, Mike. You take that running back and – you use him up for four years, and you let him walk away and, and go somewhere else for more money than what you're willing to pay him and, and go draft one or get one in free agency or however it works out. You look at a team like the 49ers, my gosh, how many running backs have they gone through over the last two or three years? And frankly, most of those backs are pretty darn good backs. I think a lot of teams in the NFL would take some of their running backs. They drafted Elijah Mitchell this year after they drafted Trey Sermon in the third round. Mitchell's been far better than Trey Sermon this year. And so I just think you can find those running backs. We know our coworker MDS likes taking running backs late or getting them in the free agent market. And I think he's right. I think history has shown, recent history at least, that you can get those running backs later in the draft or in free agency and still be as good or better off than taking that running back early in the draft. I think one of the challenges as well is don't let one guy become the star. Don't let one guy become the fan favorite. Don't let one guy become so important to your team that you have no choice but to give him a big contract. You're better off with the revolving door with two or three different guys, like the 49ers. And then you give him a moment, you're like, I don't know who the starting running back is. That's kind of been the vibe the last yeah. few years. Like, is it Raheem Mostert? Is it Jerick McKinnon? Is it Matt Breida? Is it this guy? Is it that guy? And, and it's kind of like the New England approach. You never quite know who that guy is going to be, and a lot of it's matchup-driven, but that's a way to avoid ever being in a position where you have to overpay a running back. So... It is something to, to keep in mind. And, uh, you know, it, it, it reminds me of the, the Mike Shanahan experience in Denver with all these different That's running right. backs that yeah. we've seen do well with San Francisco. Now, it was injury-driven, but it was. And let me make sure I get all these guys. It went Terrell Davis, Orlandis Gary, yeah. Mike Anderson. Yeah. Like, it was every year they had a 1,000-yard yeah. rusher. It was a different, different guy one. every yeah. year. Just plug him in and go. So, um, well, 
we're not general managers and no one seeks our advice in that regard. But if we can see it, Shireen, if we know it, if we get it, then maybe every team will figure it out at some point. No one can quite figure out what Taysom Hill is going to be as a quarterback. And that contract that he recently signed, and I got all the details, and I looked at it, and I broke it down. It's like, you know, the chances of him making the quarterback money are slim because he's got to throw 224 passes per year minimum to unlock the incentives and escalators that get to the big money. And he's got to do pretty damn well with yardage and touchdowns and team performance. And before he can even do that, he's got to win the job. Well, well, good news, I guess. Taysom Hill getting first-team reps at practice at quarterback, according to reports. That's as we get closer to a Thursday night game with the Dallas Cowboys. I'm surprised it's taken this long for him to supplant Trevor Simeon. Now, he had the concussion. He's got the foot problem. They haven't been using him in his jack-of-all-trades role to get him healthy. But as they... As they see their playoff life passing before their eyes, Shireen, it's time to do something to shake it up. And I think putting Taysom Hill at quarterback is the thing to do, especially since he was 4-1 last year. Yeah, Mike, I think if he had been healthy, then he would have been the starter a few weeks ago because it's obvious that Simeon has done absolutely nothing since Jameis got hurt. They haven't won a game since Jameis got hurt, and it's all Simeon. They lost four in a row now. Uh, he has not played well, and now Taysom Hill gets his chance. And after signing that contract, hey, I'd like to know whether we make the playoffs or not. I would like to know, does he have a chance to be my franchise quarterback? He got a little sample size of that last year. He lost a job during training camp. Let him go play the rest of the season and see what he has in him. He's had that foot injury, and he's been active, but been the emergency quarterback the last two weeks only. Now he's going to get his chance to go out there. He was full in practice today, Mike. And hopefully they get their two running backs back. One of them was full. I think it was Ingram was full today maybe, and Kamara was limited and maybe the other way around. But hopefully they get both of their running backs back this week to play. That certainly will help him in his bid uh, to keep the job and, and maybe keep it into next year. Who knows what happens if he, if he plays well. But this is a team that just needs a shot in the arm some way, somehow. They're 27th in offense, Mike, and they're 18th in scoring. They just haven't scored enough points or generated enough offense to compete in some of these games. They desperately need to have Alvin Kamara back. He has missed three games with a knee injury. He is the guy that makes that offense go in the absence of a franchise quarterback, in the absence of a Michael Thomas. Alvin Kamara is the guy, and they really need him. They've lost four in a row. I saw last week a stat that they have not lost five in a row since Jim Hazlitt was the coach in 2005, that crazy upside-down Katrina season where they played in San Antonio and they played at Baton Rouge and they played a home game game at the old Meadowlands Stadium uh, right after the the hurricane hit. So uh, this is as bad as it's been during the Sean Payton era. Even the, the 2012 lost season they didn't lose five in a row that's how bad it's been and they need to get it turned around and they they got some good news not that it's good for the game or good for the Cowboys or good for anyone but there is a COVID outbreak with the Cowboys that has resulted reportedly in eight positives so far most of them are coaches or assistant coaches and today the announcement came that head coach Mike McCarthy is COVID positive and will miss Thursday night's game Dan Quinn the defensive coordinator will serve as the head coach for the game. Makes sense. He's got experience doing it at the highest level, including the Super Bowl several years ago. So this is now the fourth team that has lost a head coach this season due to a COVID-positive diagnosis. Actually, the fourth, fourth time since the pandemic began because it was Kevin Stefanski playoffs last year. The Browns actually won the game. Matt Nagy this year. The Bears lost to the 49ers. Cliff Kingsbury this year. The Cardinals won without him. This is the fourth time since the pandemic began that a team's got to go forward without its head coach. And nobody's going to shed any tears for anyone. This is just part of the reality that we exist in now. We just accept it. Any given day, we could find out a key player or a coach isn't available for the next game or two because of a COVID positive. It's just this vague reality that manifests itself in a lightning bolt. Like, boom, oh, this guy's COVID positive. He's gone. Oh, boom, this guy's COVID positive. He's gone. And given the Thanksgiving holiday and the fact that plenty of people had plenty of people in their houses and visiting and the guards were down, I would expect to have plenty of positives this week, and we'll be talking about it in a minute. There, there have already been plenty of positives.
Yeah, Mike, they did get Amari Cooper back today. That was the good news for them. But, yeah, they're going to hold their breath the rest of this week because I would assume they're in enhanced protocols. And when you go in enhanced protocols, you test every single day. So until Thursday's uh, test results come back, they're going to be holding their breath that they don't lose any more players. They they can do without the strength and conditioning staff who are now all gone. They can do it without their offensive line coach and assistant offensive line coach who won't coach they even do without Mike McCarthy for a game but when you start getting in those players right now the only one out is Terrence Steele that we know of the the swing tackle who started games at both right tackle and left tackle and they can do without him because they have Tyron Smith back and and they have uh, Lyle Collins back but if they lose any more players, that's when you start to have concern about, all right, who's going to be, if it's quarterback or the receiver or whatever it is. They've played enough games without some of their starters this year that you can see how it affects them uh, and affects any teams. But the numbers went up after Halloween, Mike, Halloween parties and things like that, kids going out. The numbers we're seeing are rising again after Thanksgiving, and this is what you've talked a lot about. You worry about these holidays when people gather together the numbers rise. It's just, it's a fact of life right now. There's an element of collective fatigue when it comes to worrying about the various steps and protocols. And, you know, I'm sick of not seeing my family. I'm sick of having to wear a mask. I'm sick of having to do this. I'm sick of having to do that. Well, we just have to dig a little bit deeper and continue to do everything if we want to get past this for good. Or a year from now, it's going to be the same old thing. Two years from now, it's going to be the same old thing. And, you know, it... I, I I don't know when the appropriate time is to wonder about this out loud, but it occurred to me the other day, guys practice and play all the time when they're not feeling well, when they have the flu or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we've seen flu outbreaks in the past, and we, we herald guys who find a way to play when they have the flu. When the pandemic becomes endemic to the overall population, I mean, is there a point where the NFL just throws its hands in the air? I'm not saying they should. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm not taking a position on it. I'm just saying, is there a point after three years, four years, five years, where they just say, you know what, this is just a part of life just like the common cold. There ain't a damn thing we can do about it anymore. And we just got to trust people to be smart. And I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I don't I don't know if they ever do that. But I just wonder if they ever get to the point where they think about doing that, because, you know, it's got to be difficult and and stressful. And you have to ask yourself, how many of these guys, how many of these players are actually having symptoms and can they pass it? You know, can you let a guy be in the facility if he's positive and just treat him in a way that he doesn't get close to anyone and he can go out and play in the game? Because. This isn't getting transmitted during games that we know of. So I don't know, Sheree. Yeah. Does that make any sense? I guess what I'm trying to say is at some point, after a certain number of years, you can't just have your entire season yeah. potentially undermined by the fact you're going to have these, these rogue, this guy can't play in this key game, even though he's perfectly fine and he has no symptoms. He can't, but he can't play. It, there's just something odd about that continuing indefinitely. Yeah, that came to mind last week when, when you mentioned that Amari Cooper would have been tested on Monday uh, or a week and a half ago, whatever it's been now, 10 days ago. But he tested positive during the week. He would have tested on Monday. He wouldn't have had to test again, right? And he might have, if he had been vaccinated and would have had COVID and played with COVID, he would have played in the game if he was vaccinated and wouldn't have taken another COVID test until the next Monday. So he would have been in the team facility for three or four days. He would have played a game with COVID. And I'm sure other guys have done that who've been vaccinated. We're about to talk about T.J. Watt going on the list. T.J. Watt, for all we know, was positive yesterday or the day before, but he didn't have a test until today. So I'm right there with you. I think at some point, probably next year, the NFL does just throw up its hands and go, look, we're, we'll see what happens with the, with the pandemic from here on out. I know there's other variants coming in, but we're just going to treat it as the flu. And guys, if they're healthy enough and asymptomatic, are just going to go out there and play. And... Um- you know, T.J. Watt was in Joe Burrow's face yesterday for not an extended period yeah. of time, but but still, they've yet to confirm or even seriously suspect right. that in an open air setting, there's enough of a viral load that can infect someone else. So uh, I, I don't know, but these are issues the NFL is going to have to deal with because I don't get the impression this thing's going away. So they're going to have to have a COVID protocol right. for 22. They're going to have to have one for 23. They're going to have one maybe for 24. And at some point, they're just going to say, screw it, screw it. It's no different than, than 
how we did. I'm not saying it's the same as the flu, folks. I'm saying we're just going to treat it like any other potential illness. And if you are positive, you're not going to be locked out of the facility for five days, ten days, whatever. I don't know. There's nothing easy about it. There's not been anything easy about it. One of the reasons is we've never taken it as seriously, collectively, as we should. You mentioned T.J. Watt. Uh, Patrick Peterson, the Vikings, Kevin Byard of the Titans, also on the COVID list, testing positive today. Other tests have come back positive today. The way it works is for the vaccinated players, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays every week, the, the team is split up into three groups and they have their weekly tests. So we'll have more positives presumably tomorrow, more positives presumably Wednesday. And these are all potentially positive tests flowing from the fact that People got together with family and friends over Thanksgiving, and the NFL collectively is in enhanced protocols this week with masks for everyone, with multiple days of testing, I believe. A a lot of different things that they have done to prevent outbreaks. Well, so far in Dallas, Shireen, it hasn't happened. And, you know, the big question looming over all this, and I know this is the question I get, what are they going to do about the Thursday night game? Well, what are they going to do? They're going to play it. They've made it clear. They're going to play it that they're going to play these yeah. games as scheduled. They're not going to, they're not going to tell 50,000, 60,000 people in New Orleans, come back tomorrow if you're free you know, or if you happen to fly in for the game or whatever. No, they're, they're going to play these games. They're going to play these games, and you're going to put whoever's healthy out on the field, and you're going to play. Yeah, and we saw it even last year with the Broncos, Kendall Hinton playing quarterback, and that's what's going to happen. They're going to play them. And for the Steelers, it's definitely problematic, Mike, as they fight to get in the playoffs that their best player has COVID. And guess what? They play a Thursday night game next week. So I would say the chances are probably maybe pretty good that he could miss two games instead of just one game vaccinated or unvaccinated but even if he doesn't he's got to come back without practicing next week and try to play in that Thursday game but they need him he's their best player one last note unrelated to COVID Tristan Hill who was spotted in the background of Daniel Carlson with a cowboy hat on and a turkey leg in his hand punching a member of the Raiders at the conclusion of the game. There he is. Boom! Oh, knock the helmet off. That's Rock'em Sock'em Robots punch. Off went the helmet. Uh, Initially, NFL media reported that Hill would not be suspended. That was on Friday. Thanks for nothing on Monday. He is suspended two games. They're going to have to accelerate the appeal process. He'll have the right to an expedited appeal and get that heard and get that figured out because they got a game on Thursday night, and they need Tristan Hill, Shereen. Yeah, he's missed most of the season, Mike, with with injury, and they're better with him out there at defensive tackle. He's been good when he's played. He just hasn't played very much this year, but he deserved that, Mike. I don't know what happened. I don't know how it started, but you can't just throw punches even if it's after the game. So he got what he deserved based on on the video that we saw. Um, All right, let's go ahead and uh, take a break, and when we return... Uh, I'm not quite sure what we're going to do. Let me see. We have a, a pick your uh, A or B, A or B, whatever that means. Next on PFC. <laughs> Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag and Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Is it different when you beat the Steelers? Does it mean a little bit more? You know, I think we've set the standard this year of what, what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to go out and beat our division and beat, beat the Steelers, so... You know, I think this year we've we've really set the standard of what it's supposed to be for the next five, ten years. Did you expect more of a fight from them, given that you went into their place and won earlier in the year? You know, we thought it was going to be a dogfight, but, you know, not every game turns out how you think it's going to be. And, you know, we really controlled the game at the line of scrimmage all day. O-line and D-line played great, and that was the difference. Your, your touchdown run that got things started. A little juke there at the, yeah. uh, at the end. Um did, did Minkus have anything to say to you after that? No, he didn't say anything to me, but I'm sure you know, that one felt good for me. You know, I think you know, that kind of shows the work that I put in in my rehab. You know, My knee is feeling great today. 
and it just keeps getting better week to week. So I'm excited about that. When was the last time you had a juke move like that? <laughs> well, they usually come in the pocket. You know, I'm pretty good at making people miss in the pocket in the phone booth, but I can't remember the last time in the open field like that. What was the biggest reason for the turnaround after the two-game losing streak? Because after Baltimore, everything was looking great, and then you had the Jets, you had the Browns, but you regrouped. What What did you do to regroup? You know, I think we had the, we had the bye week. You know, we were able to get away and, and come back. You know, focused, ready to go. We understood what we had in front of us. We understood the challenges that we were going to have coming down the stretch. I mean, you know, after the bye week, we had, I think we had one of the top two or three um, hardest strengths of, strengths of schedule going forward. But, you know, we knew what we had. We knew what we had to face. And so we went to practice and just kept getting better. What was one thing that you noticed that you were doing that you needed to change or just anything you needed to do differently to, to do your part to help the team turn it around after those two losses? Just take care of the ball better, you know, limit it from turnovers and, you know, not not try to, you know, we kind of fell in love with the big play, speaking to myself. And, um, you know, the last two games, I've really just taken what the defense has given me and, you know, stat lines aren't gaudy and impressive, but, you know, it's getting the job done. So that's all I care about is, is W's and whatever it, whatever it takes to get the job done. All right, time for a little A or B, Shireen, and uh, we'll see what we choose based upon the questions. Let's begin with this. Which is the real Bengals team? Choice A. Weeks 8 and 9 when they lost to the Jets and the Browns with 75 points allowed. Choice B. Weeks 11 and 12, post-buy, wins against the Raiders and the Steelers with only 23 points allowed, which is the real Bengals. I'm going to go with B, Mike. This just feels like to me a team that's figuring out how to win and figuring out that they are good, and they are, and I think they have a chance to do special things, not just in the future, but I think they have a chance to do something special This season, we all know how long it's been since this team has won a playoff game. 1990, I think, was the last time they won a playoff game, decades ago. So they need to figure out how to win. We're really good. We can do this. And I think they're starting to do that. 13th offensively, 13th defensively, 6th in scoring, 6th in points allowed. They're just doing a great job overall. And I think this is a really good football team. They just need to keep it going, Mike, and and figure out how to win some close games, figure out how to beat the better teams. And when they get to the postseason, they could be dangerous. Yeah, I I agree with you completely. And Joe Burrow has kind of been a hard reset button on the franchise. The stuff that happened in the past does not matter. The struggles do not matter. All that matters is moving forward. They expect to beat the Steelers. They expect to set the standard. They expect to win games. And I'm impressed by what they've done since those two losses. I think this is the real Bengals team the past two weeks because they took that bye week. They diagnosed their issues. You heard Joe Burrow say that he had fallen in love with the big play. He realized in that week seven win over the Ravens right before the two straight losses that Jamar Chase was being double teamed more and more. And uh, you take him away instead of trying to force the ball to him or stare him down to the point where the pocket collapses, whatever the case may be, you just throw the ball to other guys who are going to be open or you run the ball more. Joe Mixon has been a star the past couple of weeks, over 280 rushing yards and four touchdowns as they recognize there are running lanes as teams try to stop Jamar Chase. All right, the more surprising winning streak, the Patriots with now six in a row or the Miami Dolphins who have won four in a row, and they have two more home games, plus they're by. They don't play on the road again until they go to the Superdome four weeks from tonight against the Saints. Shereen, which one's more surprising to you? I think they're both pretty surprising, but I'm going to go with B, the Dolphins, because I thought they were done sitting there at 1-7. and seven. A 1-7 and seven team has never made the postseason, and they have a chance to do that. And if you look at how their winning streak started, it started with barely a victory over the Texans, 17-9. That wasn't very impressive. And then all of a sudden they come out and beat the Ravens, and we're all stunned, right? And then the Jets and the Panthers. And I had the game yesterday with them against the Panthers, and I thought they were pretty impressive beating the Panthers last like they did and as you said now they have the Giants and the Jets and the Saints and the Titans and the Patriots and 
I think they've got a chance here. If they just take it game by game, they're getting better every game. I think Tua has found him a weapon in Jalen Waddle. He knows him very well from their time at Alabama, and that was definitely Waddle's best game yesterday, over 100 yards receiving for the first time, and he looked like an elite receiver yesterday, Mike. Yeah, and uh, amazing to see how he's come on at a time when Chase has tailed off and the Patriots, led by Mac Jones, he's now the clear favorite to be the offensive rookie of the year. But I think the Dolphins' win streak is more surprising. I Look, I, I expected the Patriots to settle in like they always seem to do and Bill Belichick to find the best formula to get the best out of the team that he has. The Dolphins were 1-7. They were done. It was over. And I think it worked out perfectly that the window closed on the trade talk involving Deshaun Watson and the Texans. It was over. It was done. There's no reason to even discuss it anymore. After that, what happens? They start winning football games. Yeah. Tua Vailoa is no longer distracted by it. And I really do think it was a real issue. They, they're not going to be forthcoming about the stuff going on behind the curtain. I think Tua was upset about the fact that they were ready to throw him overboard for Deshaun Watson. They never gave him a fair chance. And maybe he, he did what, what I said all along Tom Brady would do. You get pissed off and you decide to go out and play so well that they're not going to want to think about Deshaun Watson or anybody but you as the team's quarterback. All right, most offensive – let me try that again. Not most offensive – but most impressive offensive (laughs) performance out of these two choices. Nothing offensive about it. The 49ers with 34 points, 423 total yards, and 208 rushing yards against the Vikings, or the Packers with 36 points, 399 total yards, and 307 pass yards against the Rams. Which one was more impressive to you? I think this one's pretty easy, Mike. I think it's the Packers because the Rams' defense was number one in the NFL last season. They've added Von Miller. They were supposed to be great. Now, they haven't lived up to that. I get that. But this is a a really talented defense with a lot of named players on it, and they just rolled this team. They punted after a 15-play opening drive, but then they went touchdown, field goal, field goal, field goal, touchdown, punt, touchdown. They also had three red zone field goals on the day, Mike. If they had scored touchdowns on those, just imagine what that score would have been. This was an impressive offensive performance by the Packers. Yeah, I remember two weeks ago after the Rams were steamrolled by the 49ers running game, the excuse was, well, this this is a team that's vulnerable to the run. It's designed to take away the pass. Okay, what happened on Sunday at Lambeau Field? And, and the problem is, and Coach Dungy made this point yesterday, while we were talking about the games, the idea that, that, that this was the measuring stick for these Rams that have gotten Matthew Stafford and Von Miller mm-hmm. and Odell Beckham Jr. This is all about getting past the Packers. Now, they still may have a rematch in January, but it's far more likely that game's going to be played at Lambeau Field, not at SoFi Stadium. That's what the stakes were on Sunday. So they may have to go back there again. And, you know, we're reaching the excuse-making phase of the season for Matthew Stafford. He's injured. He's not injured. But, you know, why is he not playing well? Well, he's dealing with these injuries. Oh, no, I'm fine. Uh, Look, the the Rams are not fine. They've lost three in a row. And I think it was more impressive that the Packers dismantled that defense that has all of these MVP, all-pro-level performers on it. And the Packers just have Aaron Rodgers, supposedly, although plenty of other guys got it done yesterday. All right, which 6-5 and five AFC West team is most likely to make the playoffs? So we have three choices here, A, B, or C. The Chargers, the Broncos, or the Raiders? All 6-5. and five. Which one of them do you think is the most likely to get in? Boy, this is a tough choice, Mike. I'm going to go with the Chargers because I think they're the more talented team among those three teams. But, boy, they haven't played like it. And that was a huge disappointment yesterday. They just absolutely laid an egg. But I'm going to go with the Chargers because they do have the the Giants on there. They should win that game. And you figure they're going to beat the Texans. But those other games are are a toss-up. And they need to play well this week against Cincinnati after playing so poorly. And Justin Herbert hasn't played well here of late. Well, they're definitely going to have opportunities to prove it against each other. I see they each have three division games left in the final five. And I think the Chargers, too, when in doubt, go with the team that has the best quarterback. All due respect to Derek Carr, I think Justin Herbert is the best quarterback. The problem is the rest of the team isn't backing it up. And they started so strong, and then they've just kind of fallen into this 
just you never know what you're going to get out of the Chargers any given week. That's yeah. a game they should have won after that that win over the Steelers where they fell apart. Then they came back and won. And I thought that would give them a boost to go into Denver and and expose the Broncos as being overachievers. And now the Broncos are six and five. And I don't know what the hell to think about them because Teddy Bridgewater got injured. And then he played injured because Drew Locke was so bad as the backup. But it's not like Teddy Bridgewater has been great. So I'll go Chargers, then maybe Raiders, then maybe Broncos. Although I've noticed something that that uh, I find encouraging. Broncos fans are starting to get an attitude again. They haven't had, a, had an attitude in a few years. No <laughs> yeah. reason to have an attitude. They're starting to develop an attitude again. That, that's a sign that a team is starting to come back. The fans are starting to feel it, and they're starting to get a little bit of an attitude. Swagger. So we'll see if the Broncos can keep it going. All right, let's – Take a break. A game of fill in the blank when this Monday edition of PFTPM continues right after this. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag and Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. So yesterday as the Vikings were trying to get a playoff on fourth and goal, there goes the play clock winding down. And there's Kirk Cousins. He ain't going to get the football there. He was lined up under the guard. The right guard probably wondering what in the world is going on here. What yeah. what what is this? What is this sensation? Uh, that shouldn't be me. And uh, Alexander Madison had to let Kirk Cousins know. Kirk Cousins called a timeout. He was going to call the timeout anyway. But uh, embarrassing moment for the Vikings. They would end up losing the game. They went for it on fourth down when they were down eight. You could argue they should have taken the three. They ended up getting the ball back. It ended up not working out. Obviously for the Vikings, they're five and six. The 49ers are six and five. So fill in the blank. Kirk Cousins lining up behind the wrong player on fourth and goal was the most embarrassing NFL play since when, Shireen? Well, Mark Sanchez spent a year in Dallas as a backup quarterback, and I love Mark Sanchez. He became one of my favorite players to cover in the year that he was here. So just so we can show the video, and I love also, Mike, that he's been able to make fun of himself. I think that's been key. I've thought of two since then. Uh, after I said that was going to be my choice, I mean Tom Brady last year with the with not knowing that it was fourth down, I think was was pretty embarrassing. That was probably the most recent embarrassing moment in the NFL. But there was another one where Matt Castle was playing for the Cowboys and he actually had a grounding call on a, an interception. Of course, they declined the grounding call and took the interception. But I've never seen that before—a grounding call on an interception. I, yeah, I don't even remember that one. I'm going to have to go look that one up. But uh, that would be embarrassing. The one that I thought of first and foremost was the fake punt from the Colts in October of 2015 on the Sunday night game against the Broncos where I just thought this is it. It was the Pan- yeah. uh, Patriots, rather. I thought that Chuck Pagano, who was on the hot seat at the time, was actually trying to get fired. That this is the, yeah. hey, Jim Irsay, if you have half a brain, you will fire me because only a complete moron would run this play. It made no sense, and they weren't supposed to snap it, and whatever. It happened, and it was bad, and it was ugly. And also one of the all-time great embarrassments, and we kind of forget about this, the Dan Orlovsky running out of the end zone. And not just stepping on the line, but like taking several steps deep into the white stripe Uh before he realized it. And, you know, in his defense, it was being chased by Jared Allen in his prime. Well, and you had Gus Farratt, don't forget that one, banging his head into the, into the padded wall. We should have probably had a draft because there's so many of those that keep coming up to mind as we keep talking about this. We love those crazy moments like that, though. It gives us something fun to talk about instead of the usual normal things. Not that there aren't exciting things, but there are embarrassing things that happen from time to time. All right, next topic. The Rams' three-game losing streak Blank. We're not even putting a verb in there. It's just the Rams' three-game losing streak blank. I'm going to say predictable, Mike, because they started 7-3 and three last year. They lost 3-5, of five, finished 10-6. and six. Those losses were to the Jets, 49ers, and Seahawks. If you remember, the 49ers were not good last year, so those were two really bad losses. 2019, they started 5-3. and three. They lost 4-7. of seven. They finished 9-7. and seven. This is kind of what Sean McVay teams have shown they do. 2018, 11-1, they lost two in a row. So this is what his teams do. He needs to figure out how to win late in the season, and so far he hadn't figured out how to do that, Mike. 
Yeah, I'd say the Rams' three-game losing streak exposes them. And, you know, they've had all that hype, and it's all sizzle, and it's no substance. And I used to refer to the Rams of 20 years ago as the greatest show-offs on turf just for fun because everybody called them the greatest show on turf. But these are the greatest show-offs on turf. This, it's all sizzle. It's all flash. It's, yeah, let's bring this guy in. Let's bring that guy in. Let's bring this guy in. Let's bring that guy in. At some point, you got to put those guys together, and you got to win football games. And I, I can't help but wonder at what point McVay's going to burn out because I just feel like I feel like he is holding on so damn tight, and I feel like he is so desperate to get to a Super Bowl and win it. And there's so much money out there for you know guys who the the networks would fall in love with as potential broadcasters. He could probably make more in a booth than he's making on a sideline. I can't help but wonder whether or not he thinks about trying to win a Super Bowl and doing that. The Eagles' playoff chances are what, Shireen? I'm going to say fading, Mike, especially with the injury now to Jalen Hurst, but they're 5-7. and seven. They're, they're only a half game behind the Vikings who have that last spot, but they're 10th, so that means they have to jump a bunch of teams. And I, you know how you can plug in those percentages? They have an 8% chance to win the NFC East. They have a 23% chance to go to the postseason. This game this week against the Jets, I don't care if Hurts plays or not, it's a must-win no matter who they have at quarterback with the games they have left. I'll say the Eagles' playoff chances are something I never really believed in. But but I, I took the cheese this week. After picking them to lose in like, ten, yeah. I don't know, every game this year, I finally picked them to win in New York. And they had a chance, but it didn't work out. And it really did deliver a serious blow to their playoff hopes. They were, they were starting to creep up on the Cowboys. The Cowboys were the yeah, happiest were. yesterday with that outcome because it still cements them as – the the likely winners of the NFC East. All right, in week 12, I couldn't believe what, Shireen? Well, I'm going to go with Cam Newton. His his passer rating, Mike, the lowest of his career, 5.8, not 58, 5.8, 5 of 21, 92 yards, two interceptions. His completion percentage of 23.8 was the lowest by a quarterback since 2004 when Joey Harrington went 5 for 22 for the Lions. Not the kind of company you want to keep, Mike. And I'll go back to Thursday night and say I couldn't believe that the Saints got booed at home during that game where they only scored six points. And, and it was starting to get bad and noticeable. And then they got a first down on a third down play, and it quieted down after that. But to only score six points at home, we talked earlier about their predicament, Taysom Hill getting the first team reps at quarterback as they get ready for a Thursday night home game against the Cowboys. And uh, – I, that, that one was stunning to me. For as exciting as the second game was, 36-33 to 33 Raiders over the Cowboys, that Thursday night game was not good. Let's go ahead and take a break. We're getting ready for the Monday night game, which on paper looks like it may not be good, but sometimes, sometimes, those are the best primetime games of all. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. The show, I want to take a minute to address the settlement of the litigation that was filed five years ago after the Rams moved to Los Angeles. This was something that a lot of people scoffed at when it first started. There was a fight over whether or not the case should be in arbitration, which is a much more favorable forum for a billion-dollar entity than going to a jury trial. That issue went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Then the NFL staring down the barrel of going to trial in January had a mediation session last week, which is where you get everybody together and you try to settle it. And they worked all day and they got the case settled. And the payment we would have regarded as astronomical when the case was first filed. $790 million gets paid to three St. Louis entities, with 35% of that going to the lawyers. $276.5 million just in legal fees coming out of that under a contingent fee arrangement. But, Shireen, I wrote about this today, and I'll, I'll defer anyone who cares about it to the item at PFT. The folks in St. Louis had a tiger by the tail, and they let go. And they let go for, I think, less than they could have gotten. And they got to a point where they just decided, hey, what we're getting is enough. And we don't want to keep pulling the tail of this tiger when we know that what's out there that we can get may be better than what we ultimately get. It may be the same as what we ultimately get. It may not be that much worse than what we would ultimately get. And if we'd win at trial, then they'll appeal and they'll fight and it'll last and it'll linger. Let's just go ahead and take what we can. And it happens all the time. Cases settle. But, but I think the end result of this one, because usually a good settlement means everybody's a little bit upset. I think in this one, you got two sides that are happy, the NFL and yeah. St. Louis. 
I think the NFL is justifiably happy because they dodged a scud missile on this one. St. Louis did well in light of where they started, but I think they could have done a heck of a lot better. Well, Mike, I have a question based on two different posts that you've had. Bringing in the expansion post, you expect the NFL to expand possibly up to 40 teams in the coming years. What are the chances, and maybe they're less now, but what are the chances that St. Louis either is better off to get an expansion team or worse off to get an expansion team? Now, the passage of time could change opinions in this regard, but my understanding is a lot of bad blood as a result of this litigation. Even though the NFL is happy with the outcome and, frankly, would have paid more last week, I'm told, Cronkie's lawyers, Stan Cronkie's lawyers, wanted to, pay, wanted to keep going and was willing to pay more, and the NFL's lawyers drew the line in the sand, and the plaintiffs took it and ended the case. And sometimes that game of chicken creeps into these settlement talks. But my understanding is that it's not going to be St. Louis in the future. And also... The markets don't have to be gigantic to justify NFL teams. Smaller stadiums are going to be a real possibility. And also, you know, the the goal is going to be to have more content that gets televised so people can bet during the games from home, real time, what you see coming through the screen matches what you're pressing on your phone to lock in five bucks here and two bucks there and three bucks there. And that's how the the revenue is going to explode for the NFL. But St. Louis is not going to be part of that party. They should enjoy the money they're getting now because I think that's all they're going to be getting from the NFL for a long time to come. All right, tonight, Washington hosts Seattle. It's Russell Wilson's 33rd birthday. The last time he played on his birthday, he threw five touchdown passes in a 39-30 win over the Steelers six years ago. Shereen, the Seahawks are still very much alive. They're one-and-a-half-point favorites in this one. I, you know, they, they get the win, they get to four and seven, they start chipping away one game at a time. They can get themselves back into the postseason hunt, but they got to show us something better than what we've seen in recent weeks. Yeah, it hasn't been good. Russell Wilson hasn't played good since he came back from finger surgery, and that's a big game for them. If they lose this one, I think they're done, Mike. And on the other hand, Washington's kind of turned it on now. We're starting to see a different Washington team. They have a chance to get to five and six, Mike. And they got a lot of division games left. This is a key, key game for both of these teams in their playoff hopes. Yeah, if they want in, they need this one. I don't know how many losses disqualifies you because we've never done the 17-game dance before. Mm. But eight is getting you pretty darn close to being done. I think it's seven because we've seen nine and seven teams make it before to the to the playoffs so could 10 and 10 and 7 probably get you but we just don't know we don't know for the Seahawks you don't want to be the one who finds out the hard way that 9 and 8 isn't going to be good enough this year and that would assume they'd run the table even after losing tonight they need this one tonight and I think they're going to get it how about you I'm going to go with Washington I just think they're playing pretty darn well right now Mike and I think they've turned it around so I'm going to go with the Washington football team All right, well, we'll see how this one plays out. Pete Carroll and Ron Rivera get together again. They've met before in some high-stakes games, and as this season goes, the stakes are pretty high because the winner still alive. The loser could be time to put the fork in them for 2021. Let's put a fork in this program. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Eastern for PFT Live. Enjoy the game tonight. Thanks, Shereen. See everybody tomorrow. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack.